Think you know the Brooks Ghost? Think again. Introducing the all-new, better-than-ever Ghost 16. Now with nitrogen-infused cushioning for lightweight, supreme softness that feels good every step, every street, every single day. So go ahead, take your daily joyride in the all-new nitrogen-infused Ghost 16. It'll turn your everyday miles into everyday endorphins. Let's run there. Head to brooksrunning.com to learn more. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is the Poetry in Motion podcast on the Blood Red channel with Neil Fitzmorris, bringing you all the big news and even bigger views on Liverpool FC. Well, hello there, everybody. Welcome to another edition of Poetry in Motion with me, Neil Fitzmorris. We're in the middle of a, another heat wave in September. The whole world's gone bonkers on it. Planet's burning slowly, but at least we get a bit of sun out of it. Uh, only joking, it's awful. Um, listen, uh, on the back of uh, me uh, having the, um, the pleasure uh, and the honour to uh, fill in for Peter Hooten on uh, Alain LaRue's last week with uh, with his daughter Ella and uh, Kaylee Brand as well and uh, Edward Kay. A great podcast it was. Uh, really enjoying it. And I'm looking forward to the girls as well who are getting their own podcast soon and uh, they're going to they're gonna absolutely thrush on that. They're, they're, they're brilliant. They know the football and it was an absolute honour. But on to my own show now, Poetry in Motion. Now on the eve uh, of the Aston Villa game, we talked on the Alain LaRouge uh, about how good we were going to be what the result was going to be. We're going to analyse it now. We've got three guests on the show. We've got Stephen Killen joining us. Uh, hello, Stephen. How are you, pal? Very good, yeah. Not not doing well with the sun, but just stay indoors and drink lots of water, I think. Yeah, not genetically designed, my friend, are you? Through <laughs> no, no, the short straw. Yeah, just be careful. Then. I can see I can see the sunlight coming through the uh, blinds. You're going to be, it's going to be like something out of Fright Night in a minute. Um, <laughs> with, uh, you, you, the alarms went off last time we had our, when you had your debut, didn't they? Yeah, yeah, that was the office laptop. So it wasn't you? No, no, no idea. I had to check in with security for that, but but <laughs> HQ for this one. Excellent. Well, well, we'll have a good show in here now. Paul Ghost is with us. How are you, Paul? All good, all good. Uh, good to be back on. And it's been a while since me and you've had a little natter about the Reds, hasn't it? So I'm looking forward to this one. I'm looking forward to it as well. We have a new debutante as well, another debutante from Analyzing Anfield. We have most to us, but I love, I absolutely love his Twitter handle. The mighty Mojo. How are you, Mo? I'm good. I'm good. That Twitter handle, by the way, is from my other life as a DJ. So I was kind of doing that before I was doing this. But I feel like it kind of fits me here as well. I'm doing good. Looking forward to getting involved with this. And very happy to make my debut after a win. Absolutely, my friend. Well, we'll get on to that now. We obviously, you know, Liverpool very much in a rebuilding stage. Um, Gorsty, I'll come to you first. Um the Villa game, you know, Aston Villa under Unai Emery have become a, um, a much more formidable side for a lot of clubs. Mm-hmm. The uh, fast counter-attacking, uh, a lot of pace, uh, Ollie Watkins up front. Always a bit of a challenge for Liverpool. Obviously, we've had a dodgy result or two against them in the past. Um, after all the hoopla, really speaking, it was a good day at the office for Liverpool. Ghosty won it. They seemed to contain them. The only real mistakes and efforts that they had was seemed to be of our own making. Uh, mm-hmm. A very controlled and much more balanced Liverpool side, Paul. Yeah, definitely. I think... Um... I'm trying to remember when Unai Emery took over Villa. I think it was November last year, and 
I read a stat just before the game kicked off that Villa have only got three points fewer than Liverpool in that in that time frame when he's been in charge. And he's a top class manager, isn't he? To be fair, he's proven that in La Liga and obviously the uh, the European game. We got Villarreal to a Champions League semi final before they were beaten by Liverpool and probably didn't get a fair shake of things at Arsenal. And just as the game was kicking off, I actually turned to me and Doyle, the colleague at the game, and said, "This is going to be a tough one today." I just got the feeling that. Builder are certainly on the rise. They're in the Europa League this season, aren't they? Which um, is a bit of an ominous sign for, for most teams, given that Emery is the manager for that one. But uh, it was totally different to what I expected. Liverpool turned in, um, admittedly, a small sample size of games, but the most complete performance of the season so far. I thought Trent was different class. You know, some of the passes he sprayed in the first half to Luis Diaz were unbelievable. There was a couple in the second half as well. Um, I thought he was the best player on the pitch. Doms of Bosley just continues to show why he was a superb summer signing. Nunes was lively on another day, could have had a hat-trick. Um, probably should have at least had one, but uh, continuing on from that, you know, match-winning double of Newcastle. And all around the pitch, there were plenty of feel-good stories for Jürgen Klopp to, to look at, other than the, the Trent hamstring, which are hopeful is not too serious and, and he might be back for Wolves. Um, and... Fair play to Joe Gomez as well. Joe Gomez and Joel Matip as well, standing in for Van Dijk and Canate, really, you know, stepping up, standing up and being counted. Uh, Musa Diaby and, and Lonnie Watkins, full of pace and trickery in that front line, isn't it, for Villa? And I thought the pair of those two defenders stood up superbly to it. So, um, all in all, it was a superb day at the office for Liverpool. Absolutely, Paul. And uh, Mo, Paul's just come up with a point there about, about um, Trent. And I noticed something that Liverpool haven't been doing. It seemed like an easy thing, but Liverpool haven't been doing it when Trent's been moving. He's been leaving a gap. And I noticed against Villa, they had this tactic of Matip was actually going over and covering right back rather than staying that lopsided three and then anything down that channel they'd try and chase. They were foreseeing that. They were moving to a wider three at the back. Uh, Matip was filling in that area. And that was, you know, it's like we all collectively as fans went, that that's what we mean. Yeah. Yeah. It seemed really odd, didn't it? But it, it seemed to just keep that side balanced more. Trent didn't venture forward as much as he did, but when he did, he had that cover behind him and he could be he could be a lot more dangerous. It was exactly that. And I think looking at some of the reactions from Aston Villa fans I've seen online, they were furious that we'd given Trent so much space. They Their team had given Trent so much space because, as you mentioned, in the game at the end of last season, they locked him up and it really did hurt us. But this time, it was such a simple move as well. Was in, in terms of rather than there being a hole in the line, it's just a flat line. And he could got all the game in front of him to play all the array of passes. It was the perfect uh, example of what this new system can give us. And yeah, he took full advantage of it. I was a little bit surprised at Villa, I must admit. Like, they are, uh, we mentioned Unai Emery's a really good manager. And I think that, or I would have thought he would have taken some benefit from what happened last time and tried to do it again. But they changed it to a three at the back. And I was a little bit surprised that they did that. And then obviously they had the early injury. So they had to change it a little bit again. And I think that just kind of threw them off. Their game plan was junked. A little bit after that, we get our goals. And then, well, our second goal, sorry. And suddenly, it's a very different game. Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? It's all sm small measures, isn't it, Steve? I mean, you, you know, there was, a, there was a much more balanced Liverpool midfield as well, wasn't it? We seemed to be getting them cogs right. And and, and he was mentioned early on, but uh, Dom's lobby's lies. Lobby, lobby chops, as I call them. It's a lot easier, isn't it? Um, He's just he's just gone from strength to strength, and he's got an engine on him. He, he looks like he's really, really enjoying being a part of this Liverpool side. Looks like he, you, you get the impression with him playing that it's an honour for him to put on the red shirt. He, he feels like he, he really wants to to impress. And uh, 
he's doing a lot of the running. He's, he's causing a lot of mistakes from the opponents, and, uh, and he's making life a hell of a lot easier. He's around everywhere, isn't he? He's a tremendous signing, Steve. Yeah, it's with them new signings as well. You sort of it's it's an acid test almost at the beginning of the season, and with with Sobosly, he's came in, he's took it up to what like a top to water really, hasn't he? He's um he's been relentless. I think with the whole Liverpool team, you sort of you energise them, and you've seen with all the the media that the club put out that he's sort of drumming them relationships up. And he's when Trent went down, he he was comforting me, and sure he was all right. And I think Liverpool have sort of missed. That type of midfield in recent seasons, I wrote a piece earlier this week saying that it's probably the closest thing Liverpool have had since Gerrard. Obviously, you don't want to put too much pressure early on, but he sort of got that that drive, and he's probably just lacking, albeit in a, a small sample size. But he's missing the the assist, and he obviously got a goal as well. But he's just he's just got everything from what we've seen. He, he seems like I said, he's got an engine, and he doesn't he seems to have that relentless sort of streak. And I think with Liverpool this season it feels almost different, and I'm not sure whether that's down to confidence, but it's just there seems to be a bit of a guile amongst Liverpool players, and maybe there's a point to prove for many of them as well after last season. How important do you think, Paul, it is that that that, that Newcastle game happened when it did, and that moment? I, I, I'm going to say yeah. it, I'll carry on saying it all season. That save, that remarkable save, and if there's a better save this season, boy oh boy, it'll have to be a worldie. Uh, Gordon Banks esque save by uh, Allison. I felt that it was. I just felt a moment for that Liverpool team there. I felt that there was a moment yeah. of, of of being galvanised of, of something that that snapped them back into the lethargy that they seemed to have last season. After, of course, coming yeah. so close to it to, to a quad, I just feel like that seems to be one of them moments, one of them tipping points, Paul. And and, and there seems to be, as Stevens just said, that the players fight, fist pumping each other and, and and going and supporting each other. I feel like there's a there seems to be more of a kind of a, a unity there now than has been for a while, Paul. Yeah, I think when Van Dyke got sent off just before the half hour mark, wasn't it? The, the, the kind of weak flash before my eyes of you know everyone down in the dumps and everyone criticizing the club and everyone demanding that more transfers be made and whatever else. And I thought Newcastle were going to run away with it at that point, in all honesty. I thought it's going to be in three or four on the day. They look sharper, they look quicker, they look you know fresher in the final third. And to be fair to Liverpool, they showed the kind of character that they, they've. We've had certainly up until the start of last season where they dig in and they grind it out, they show reserves of character. And sometimes the quality isn't there, they've still got that to lean on. The mentality monsters is obviously Gagan Clough famously dubbed them all those years ago. And it was a kind of return to that type of performance where they just stuck stayed in the game and then Nunes with his with his match winning intervention was kind of showed you what Klopp's got to work with up front. You know, I, I don't think anyone else in the Premier League's got those kind of options available to them up front. You know, there's five forwards there and there's not a first choice front three. It's very much a horses for courses approach depending on who you're playing, you know, and every single one of them are very different. You know, Jota, kind of the, the, the two-footed poacher who's good in the air and relentless pressure, hard work. Luis Diaz is, is the electric winger. Salah, we know what Salah is. Nunes, the kind of powerful number nine. Um, and Gakpo is a little bit more of a um, Firmino re, you know, mark too, if you like. So there's so much variation in that front line for Liverpool and, and it came to the fore just when they needed it in the final 10 minutes against Newcastle. And I was delighted for Nunes, to be fair, because um, I thought he did as well as he could be expected last season with 15 goals in all competitions. OK, his touch is a bit loose at times and his finishing is a bit erratic, but you can certainly see the potential in him. So when when he, you know, when he stuck those two away last last week at Newcastle, it felt like it was the beginning of something, a little bit of a lift off for his career, belated one, and 
there was nothing he did at Aston Villa to make me think that um, you know, it was a one-off. I thought he was excellent at Villa, despite not getting amongst the goals. So, yeah, it was a big result out against Newcastle because it kind of just flipped the mood 180 over the course of, you know, 60 minutes from when Van Dijk was sent off to when the final whistle was blown. And it's given them a real belief and a platform to build. And they're going into the international right now with 10 points from 12. And I think supporters are starting to have a look at it. And I think the exciting thing is they're not really sure what the ceiling is for this new look Liverpool. And, and that's going to be the fascinating thing in the coming months. Poetry in motion on the Blood Red Channel. Yeah, absolutely. And we, we obviously we talk about Nunes, and it's great. Well, one thing I've always I, I love about Nunes is it's just the energy he brings on the pitch. It's, he, he's just like it's like unleashing the Kraken, isn't it? He just goes on and he's just wildly running at people, and and, and you can imagine as a defender going, "Oh no," because he's just so unpredictable. And uh, and I was really pleased with him finishes because he's been hitting the ball like that. And yeah, all right, they've been going in Rosetto landing in the, the street next to mine, but. He, he doesn't stop that commitment, does he? He doesn't half hit a ball. He, he puts his, his foot right through the laces, as they say, and his laces right through the ball. And, and I was made up. But one of the things I was I was also pleased with Mo, and we'll get on to another Mo as well now, of course, a lot of the, the press speculation for the last couple of weeks has been, you know, the Saudi bids, whether they really existed or not, whether it's a bit of free publicity for a Saudi side, you know that that's not, you know, you know how this world works. Um, to, it, it, let's let's just say we take the bait and a two hundred million pound bid was thrown on the table. If there's a reason why two hundred million pound wasn't enough to pay for that to, to buy that player from this club, it was that ball that he put through for that winning goal um, for 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 Nunes. I mean, Mo Salah is is irreplaceable, isn't he, Mo? I mean, he's he's just a remarkable footballer, and and he quietly goes about his business, and then you toss it up at the end of the season and go, we got thirty five goals again. It's his assists. There was a ridiculous stat on the other day about how what there was twenty. He scored twenty four percent of Liverpool's goals under Klopp, and seventeen of the seventeen percent of all assists. I mean, this man is a, is remarkable. Two hundred million is nowhere near enough for that man, is it, Mo? No, nowhere near enough. And I can I just say, as someone called Mo, who's living in Liverpool, I hope he never leaves. Uh, honestly, he's <laughs> the best thing to happen to all of us in a very very long time. But in all seriousness, though, I think the bid itself is a little bit strange because there is a feeling persisting that if they were serious, then they would have started this earlier in the summer, particularly considering there was already a dialogue between Saudi and Liverpool because of Fabinho and Henderson. Like, that would have been the time to mention it, guys, if you were really serious. So I'm a little bit on the fence in terms of how much they really wanted him now, whether or not they they just wanted to kind of lay the groundwork for future. But... The thing we all mentioned about Salah, obviously he's so important to his team still. He looks like he's having fun in amongst this new forward line. It's not as if he's feeling like these new young guns are pushing me out. He's like, no, I've got so many new weapons to play with because he is still the main guy and everyone knows he's still the main guy. And I think that's really important to him to be able to be effective in a really good football team because there's been a lot of talk about Saudi and there'll be more in the show. But I have to ask the question, has anyone actually watched any of the games? I haven't. I haven't, no, got, I, the, I haven't I, got the slightest bit of interest in watching. Not any the either. slightest bit. I have seen clips of players running from their own box on a, on a yeah. pose and then just smashing in the top corner. It, it, so, it, you know, the yeah, YouTube you know. highlights that I've seen or the little bits on social media, it doesn't really look like football the way we know it. It doesn't really look like the intensity, the technical quality, the stakes are the same. And... Mo Salah is the most competitive animal we all know. 
Mm. He's by far the most competitive man in that team. That doesn't really feel like him. So the idea that he might maybe take a year more with Liverpool, have a look, see how that league develops, and then make another decision, I say the summer more likely than January, that probably looks like it suits all parties. For Liverpool, obviously, there may well have been people inside the building thinking, are we going to get another £200 million bid for a 31-year-old? Well, I can answer that. Yes, yes, you will, because he will still be this good next summer, uh, and they will still want him. So it really does just suit everybody, I think, on this side, at least, for it to be parked at the very least. And then we've got the next 12 months to prove to Mo how much fun it is still playing in this Liverpool team and how much he can still achieve with the Reds. Yeah, absolutely, Steve. Mo makes a great point there, Tony, about no one's and no one's really picked this up before about his competitive edge, about his feelings about how, how he wants to play the game. He doesn't, you know, as far as I'm concerned, if you don't want to put the red shirt in anymore, I will gladly open the front door for you and let you go. It's it, 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 Once the passion goes in any player, you can see it on the pitch. His, his, his levels have never dropped. And that's a great point Mo makes. It's his. It's it, it's his. He's He's got new toys to play with. He scores his goal at the weekend on the left side at the back post. You know, from the right to the left, he's moving around. He knows. We've been saying for a while now that this Liverpool team is a couple of chess players away from from, from being such a dangerous football inside. And when you have a front five like that, I think it's one of the reasons why uh, during the week, um, Roberto Firmino gave an interview saying that he looked at the at that five and thought, I'm, it's time for me to move on. Because it would have been very difficult, even though he's, you know, we'll have nothing but love for that man. And he's an absolute legend. But it was going to be harder for him, I think, to break that five. Um, and um, Ghost, I thought you'd grown a beard then, Ghost. <laughs> past the screen. Um, so uh, <laughs> that was terrifying. That. Well, that was the missus then for a minute, Ghost. I was going to say, <laughs> no. hey, stay, didn't you? Um, so it's just that thing now, isn't it? Where, where, where Salah's got the tongue's coming out now. I wish you could see this, people. It's amazing. Um, it's Dan a dog. If you're not painting a picture properly, it's a dog walking across the screen. <laughs> I think I painted it better. Um, it's just that thing now, isn't it? Where where Liverpool, that, with that front five and any of those possibilities, with a midfield that looks like it's starting to work, this could be a very, very interesting season and Liverpool could have a big say in what's going on, Stephen. Yeah, I, I think... But just on touching on Salah, I think it's it shows his sort of level of commitment, the fact, or at least his intentions that he's left it in the club's hands. I think if he would have had any sort of England to even move away, it would have been in his agent, and his agent wouldn't be coming out and saying that he he doesn't want to go. And I think obviously there's always going to be murmurs, and I think it maybe is a bit of a publicity stunt at times. But I think when we see how important he is and his, his figures back it up, and he's just got that sort of he's just got that get up and go with Liverpool. And I think he's the player you can rest your hat on and. Liverpool fans especially know that if it's not him, it's going to be one of that the rest of the, the front front feet from three, four, five now. And it's just it's just difficult to see where Liverpool go without him. And I think obviously there's going to be a time and a place when he does leave. But it's just enjoying while you can, isn't it? And I think with with the sort of level of contribution that he brings, and if he's not going to leave this summer or next summer or even January, I think he's going to be an important player. And whether he's not going to maybe play a, a, a bigger part maybe the season after, but he's still going to have a, a big impact for the players coming through. And you look at the people who are looking for his shirt now, it's, it's a bit like the Ben Doak, and I think they're going to obviously benefit from his level of commitment and his the way he goes about the game. And I think Liverpool are going to be going to be a, a strong force going forward with all about them. Yeah, it's just it's it, the confidence levels are high and rightly so. Ghosty, what do you think talking to signings, McAllister? 
Um, he's gone right into the sense he's, yeah. he's become he's he's being moulded, if you like, into it. It's not really what he wants to do, is it? I mean, you know, Klopp's done this before, hasn't he, with uh, Gino and Alden. He was an attacking midfielder. Uh, he made him much more into a holding midfielder. Yeah. Um, you don't know whether Gravenbach coming now is gonna is gonna he's gonna be the holding midfielder. But everything I've seen on him, he strides forward. McAllister. Uh, been caught in possession a couple of times, a little bit off the pace or a little bit off the position. What do you think your opinion is on, on, on a great player? No doubt he can spray a ball. He, he looks great. He's been solid enough, but just feel like he's still trying to get the tempo of, of playing in that part of the of the field. Yeah, it's it's a different type of number six, isn't it? To what like Manchester City have with Rodri, who's probably the um, the, the the best holder midfielder in the world. And, and for years, you know, Liverpool could probably lay claim to that with Fabinho. But um, I think I think the way the midfield's been rebuilt in general, there's a lot more emphasis on technical quality and, and surety in possession than there has been in recent years. I think it's you know the likes of Fabinho and Henderson, and over the years it's been a lot more about pressing and harrying and energy and you know tempo levels. So it's um, it's just part of the, the development of the team. I think I think Liverpool are looking to control things a little bit more in the middle of the park and they don't want to hear them, scare them, types of games that are back and forth. And McAllister is, you know, as sure as you're going to get it, you know, on the ball in terms of, you know, central midfielders in the Premier League, you know, World Cup winning at the age of 24 with Argentina. An absolute snip, really, at 35 million. That was obviously his release clause that was in his contract signed back in October at Brighton. Liverpool have, um, have done really well to kind of establish the existence of that, really. Um so I think that, that was probably what enabled them to to pay, to pay the sixty million release clause was a buzzlight because that's you know a different type of fee and that made them the fourth most expensive player ever at Liverpool. I think so. I think between those two players for ninety five million, given some of the fees that you get in these days, I think Liverpool have done really well. Endo was a little bit of an interesting one. I don't think he was on too many bingo cards when that name popped up. Certainly just after the Caicedo deal fell through and the Lavia bids were rejected. But um, I think maybe the um, the criticism of that deal, and, and look, I, I was one of them when it first came out, I think the criticism of that deal is perhaps in the fact of when it was made rather than who it was made for, if you know what I mean. I think if either come in in June, a lot more people would have seen that move as a little bit of a steady, shrewd, sensible one. And then Gravenberch is, is a long-standing target who um, developed as a young box-to-box kind of number eight at Ajax and didn't really get it. You know, a shake of things at Bayern Munich, but he's only 21 and Klopp knows all about him. And there's some suggestions, but that they are looking to turn him into more of a, a Wijnaldum type of number six. So I think um, for the five out and the four in, I think Liverpool have done really well in kind of refreshing the midfield options. And crucially, I think um, they've got more um, creativity in the middle of the park. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think if we're, if we're going to start splitting ears, Mo, it's, uh, 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 and, and talking about the, the transfer window, which was a it was a very, very strange one. I mean, Endo. I hope, I hope he has a great career with us. But it, it was one of those strange kind of. It was like one step higher than Arthur Menno turning up, wasn't it? And you think, you know, at least Endo's Endo's got to put a shirt on and run on the pitch for more than half an hour. Um, but it, it, it was the it was the defence really, wasn't it? That we were we were looking. We know that certainly a left sided central defender very much needed. I know the Andre Trentade talks continue, but he's very much someone that Fluminense want to keep hold of because he's. He's pivotal to their to, to their cup run and stuff like that, isn't he? But we touched on it earlier on the game. It, it was it was encouraging, wasn't it, to see Matip and Gomez um, just coming in like that cold on a game and, and handling that. And if you feel that, I mean, oddly, Nat Phillips going on a four month loan to to Celtic seems a bit strange. 
Um, but uh, four months on, it just seems like a really odd one, doesn't it? But um, you know, with 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 Van Dyke and and uh, and uh, Canate back in that side in that centre, knowing that we've got a little bit of cover behind them now, mm. things feel a little bit less um, worrying than they were before the transfer window. Um, in in some ways, yes. I think the worry with Matip and Gomez for a lot of people was the recent performances towards the end of last season and particularly in pre-season didn't look like they were at the level that we could rely on them for maybe four or five games in a row if it was needed, as we clearly do need them right now. But what we've seen from them so far this season has been an improvement, and that's the big encouragement for me. I do still think it is a risk because obviously... The problem for me, really, those two really wasn't quality. It was consistency. And to be able to be relied upon to not only just play well, but to play for that long. And we do have to kind of cross our fingers a little bit that they do both make it through. Obviously, the Van Dyke um, suspension, we still don't know how long that could be for. Uh, we can need to hopefully get a bit of luck with that, maybe kind of help. But... Jarrell Kronz has started to come in and started to take up some minutes as well. So maybe there is a little bit more of a release valve. But the Nat Phillips thing, the Matt, free Nat Phillips, man. I mean, surely there must be someone who wants to pay money to get out of this buy. And for me, the fact that it's only a four-month thing kind of tells me that they're not necessarily looking to buy a defender in January either. Because it's almost like, well, we'll see where we are in January and we might need you still. Yeah, that's a good point because it seems like a really odd point on that. You're right, isn't it? If you love someone, set them free, innit? The old stinks yeah. on. Uh, yeah, but they seem to be like, yeah, well, you can have them for 70 mil. Uh, as Mo's just said, Steve, uh, uh, Van Dyke's looking. We don't know really what we have. They apparently now want to extend his ban because, surprise, surprise, he called the decision an effing joke, um, which we all know it was. Well, you know, certainly for a red card situation anyway. Um there is the odd mistake in in, in uh, Gomez, isn't there? Unfortunately, um, on Sunday he, he, he can tend to let players get the wrong side of him, can't he? And he did it again. And luckily enough, uh, I can't think it was who took the ball. I don't know whether it was um, Ollie Watkins or someone who ran forward the ball anyway. And it ends up a really good bit of defending by uh, Trent, who, who just kept him on his left hand side, and and he shot over the bar in the end. But uh, there is a bit of a worry there, isn't there, with with, with, with that situation, and, and we need a bit of steel there, really, and, and and hopefully the sooner that we can get Canate back, we have got this hamstring issue with 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 um, Trent that hopefully uh, isn't as bad as we think it is, but hopefully it's just just long enough to keep him out of an international. That's the important thing, isn't it? Um, what uh, one thing I was going to pick up on is uh, I noticed Liverpool. I don't know if it's just me or whether you noticed the same thing. They seem to uh, they seem to be pressing in waves in certain times on Sunday. They weren't fully pressing. They were doing a press for a few minutes, seemed to be backing off for a bit and then pressing again. And it seemed to me that like this this idea of try and get something, but don't continually press. The, the, you know, the, the the mad press that we used to have, it seems to be trying to control that and using that in specific times during the picture. Do you notice that yourself? Particularly when uh, Harvey Elliott comes on, he, he, he instantly starts going after people, doesn't he? And, and that's clearly what he's being told to do. I think I think in stages last season, uh, there was a often Liverpool getting played through quite yeah, frequently, so there's possible possibility that we've noticed that there's been a change that way where they've made the they've learned the lessons and not exactly putting every man forward and maybe still uh, sort of doing it in waves, letting them play through the lines and maybe pushing them on to to make a mistake or two. But I think with Liverpool, it's been been evident how how relentless it has been in the um, in the press. It's, it's been it's been it's been easy on the eye, and when it does come off, it's been 
it's been fantastic to watch and it's not all the time ended in a goal but when it does it's it's always what what Liverpool fans want to see and I think the way the changes have been made and I think even in the, the transitional play touching upon what you said earlier about the the new Newcastle goal uh, seeing glimpses of it in pre-season where they're playing it into Salah and he's just knocking it off one twos and it's going through to Nunes and I think it's the type of thing that you see from the training ground translate right onto the pitch and I think I think very much so it is the case of this Liverpool 2.0 that's very much in a transitional phase but the early signs are, are magnificent and I think how, how it's coming across and the, and the way it's sort of coming out at the minute it's it very much something that's going to be a work in progress but it's going to be a lot more positives than there are negatives and you said before Paul but we'll just pick up on now the graphing back you think is because of of the of the the little I've seen of him uh, I'll be honest but but you know yeah. as, I've, as I've always said when you watch YouTube compilations of any player I mean Titus Bramble looked good didn't he <laughs> um but uh he looks like a range, a really long, long leg, a bit of a, you know, there are comparisons to Pogba on the pitch, thankfully, rather than off it. But um, he looks like one of these people who likes to run forward with the ball, doesn't he? And uh, I mean, he had 100 caps at Ajax before he was 20. So yeah. you're talking about a player that people thought a lot of. And do you think he's more likely to be the holder rather than McAllister? Or do you think they'll take it in turns? Or do you think, you know, one of them's going to have to sit in, aren't they? Yeah, I think in the short term, I think he'll probably stick McAllister in there for now, just because he has played there before with, with Brighton. And obviously, he's been doing it on a kind of ad hoc basis with Liverpool. But um, yeah, Granbert is an interesting one. I mean, for me, it's almost, um, I think Jürgen Klopp just thinks, just get good players in and uh, we'll mould them one way or another. I mean, Granbert is obviously someone who's he's only 21, but he's been around for a while. He made his debut at 16 for Ajax, uh, the youngest ever Divisi debutant. I think he you know, succeeded the great Clarence Seydorf when he when he did that for Ajax. And there was kind of a burge and a reputation developing when uh, Liverpool played them, played Ajax in the Champions League three years ago and he had a good game in, in those two games because I remember certainly the Anfield game, I was kind of looking out for him a bit because I know he was one of the many emerging young talents in, in the, the Ajax setup. And, you know, I don't know about you, but <clears throat> I'm always looking for, for young players at Ajax and seeing who's next off the kind of production line because... The um, they are legendary at that. So um, I think his career has had gone, you know, really well up until that move to Bayern, and you know, not making the grade at Bayern Munich is, is no slight on anyone. Really, he made thirty four appearances in total. I think his issue was probably that um, they just they just weren't you know enough minutes in there because um, you know thirty four appearances over the course of just over a season means you still you still getting your face out there, or getting a little bit of a run at most games. It's just the amount of minutes. But you look at Bayern's midfield and, you know, it's stacked as there with the likes of Musiala and, you know, Joshua Kimmich in there as well. And it's, um, I think Thomas Tuchel said that his only issue was um, he, he just he just had too many midfielders in there. So uh, Liverpool don't. Or if they do, I think there's a case to be made that if you're good enough, you can really stake your claim because... Uh, I think, like the front three, there's um, a lot less um, certainty over who the, the first choice midfield three is now. I think years ago you'd have had Henderson and Fabinho in there most weeks, wouldn't you? And then you pick one from the rest. Thiago, for me, is, is still one of the first names on the team sheet if Liverpool were playing in the Champions League final next week and he was fit and firing, but um, that is quite a big but. So I think the gauntlet has been thrown down to them all now about, you know, Stake your claim, show up and train them, show up in the games, and, and you'll play in that midfield. And 
I think for now it will be McAllister used over Graven Bertsmore as a number six. But I just get the feeling that, you know, they are looking to ultimately shape Graven Bertsch into um, more of a number six than the box-to-box midfielder that he's made his name at um, at the age of 21. And you'd imagine Mo, he's going to come straight into the side as soon as he can, isn't he? I mean, he's not going to be one of these ones that is just going to be benched and then brought on five games, eight games in, whatever. We're going to want to see that. It, it, it does make the endo signing a lot stranger, doesn't it? Because you've suddenly got this kid now. Well, I say kid. Uh, he's older than me. Uh, no, I, I, you know, he's, what is he, 30? Uh, uh, and then you've got a, an 18 million, 16 to 18 million pound buy. And then, uh, and then you're suddenly the next week or week after buying that third member of the jigsaw puzzle, you would imagine in Gravenbach, who's going to come on, you would imagine, and play Zlobberslaw on one side, McAllister in the middle, and him there, there or thereabouts. Makes Enzo a bit of a strange one, but maybe could could come in as, as cover. Yeah, I mean, I think it kind of makes more sense now to me. I think part of Endo's problem was when we signed him, people were fearing that that was going to be it. And then when you think, oh, well, that's it, and you think, hmm, is that the right plan? But... Now we've got a more full stock of midfielders in the cupboard. He does look like a more sensible signing. I mean, if you think about him as Milner, I mean, we're going to come on to Jordan Henson and his reluctance to play the Milner role. Endo's going to love it. Like, essentially, he's going to be the closer. He's going to be the guy who comes on when we've maybe got a one goal or two goal lead with 25 to go, and he harries everyone to death, and he makes sure that the intensity stays high, the energy stays high, we don't concede any goals, we keep hold of the lead and leave with three points. There's going to be games where he does start, maybe some of the Europa League games, maybe just if there's two, three games in a week, he might get some starts. But he's, I mean, we talk about Milner, and to be fair, towards the end, he wasn't coming on for very long. He was still coming on loads. He made like 40 appearances last season. Like, that's a lot. There's a lot of times where Klopp thought, I need Milner. So if he's now going to be calling Endo in those times, it kind of makes sense for me. The Gravenberg stuff, I think we're actually, by some weird quirk, getting him at the perfect time. Because Gorsi mentioned all of his achievements at Ajax and how he was so early into the Dutch team. Everything was only up and up in his career. He was, you know, thinking, this is it. I'm going to be bound to be another one in the chapter of great Ajax players to go off and conquer the world. Then he hit a bit of a brick wall at Bayern. Everybody does it. I mean, look at what happened to Sadio. So it's hard to succeed at Bayern. And I do think that the midfield makeup of what they had and what he gave didn't really suit. And how he reacted to not getting in the team probably didn't help him, particularly when it came to with Thomas Tuchel. So he's come through a bit of a humbling experience. He's come to Liverpool where some people are questioning whether or not he really is for this level. He's going to have to conquer some of the problems he had at Bayern because they wanted him to play a defensive role and they thought he couldn't, but we are potentially going to be asking him to do that thing. And maybe he isn't going to start every single week from the get-go, although I do think taking time off from international duty to come into the squad is very much with a view to being ready to start immediately, which I do think is a very good idea. But I do think that there's so much more that we can get from him. He's, He's at a point where he's got a point to prove People are, like I say, they're doubting his abilities. They're questioning whether or not he's the right fit for us, whether or not he's worth all of this uh, acclaim. And he can go out there and prove it. I've seen to believe we bought a fella from Roma six years ago to the day who had lots to prove, came over here, and he did all right. 
Commentary in Motion on the Blood Red Channel. Uh, no, you're absolutely right, mate. Another good point. I mean, uh, I mean, you know, when you there are certain managers, aren't there? When you hear a player doesn't necessarily get on with them. Tuchel's one of them where you think, well, that's that's probably not necessarily the player's fault. Tuchel's one of them people, and he's one of them managers anywhere. I think he can fall out of favour with him very, very easily. And I think that's probably what's happened there, as we mentioned, and it's left him on the bench, which is great for us to mop up, really, isn't it? Um, so, Stephen, third in the league, um, a clean sheet at the weekend. Uh, when you've got the Uniteds of the world, 11th, and I don't know where Chelsea are after spending 500 million quid, um, but, you know, they get beaten home to Notts Forest. It's one of them seasons, mate, isn't it, where... We need stability. Any team needs a bit of stability. It feels like Liverpool like, are just starting to get that stability now, don't they? And and hopefully we're grabbing back coming into this midfield and we just get a, a stronger midfield. Mo's just mentioned there um, how many appearances Milner made more than Klopp would have wanted, I would imagine. But that was the kind of situation we were in last season, really, weren't we? Where we, we needed Milner, who is an absolute legend, but, you know, was always going to be a backup plan. We needed him much more than we thought because, because of that. Uh, inconsistency of the midfield. Hopefully, we're going to be getting that now. You did mention, or somebody mentioned um, the um, uh, the Jordan Henderson situation there in Saudi. A very, very strange comment he made, wasn't it? Uh, saying about his move, uh, apart from the fact he said he wants to develop football in Saudi Arabia, which was a remarkable comment to make. I mean, good God, man. Um, I don't know what that meant. I really don't know what that meant. He, unless he bought some cones from Argos and he was just taking them with him to help with the training. I don't understand what he means by that. But more importantly was this thing where he said, if anyone in Liverpool had said stay, I would have. But I know that he... I know that he... Um, I got some inside info from someone who will not mention last season saying that he had a really tough time getting a contract off Liverpool last season. Uh, and they made him jump through a few hoops and he, and he thought it was going to be an easier transition. Maybe that was weighing up on his mind. But... Um, a strange sort of part and shot, wasn't it? It was a strange interview, and I didn't read all of it. I've got to be honest with you, but but the points I picked out, it was a very, a very loaded kind of thing to say, wasn't it? You know, I would have stayed, but no one seemed to, no one seemed to want me to. It was a, it, it was a very interesting comment to make, Stephen. Yeah, it's it's, it's hard to see who came out of that. Well, um, it's it's difficult to really stomach from any sort of perspective. Some of the comments he's made, obviously. Like you said, I think the the word is that Jurgen Klopp stepped in and gave him the contract, which is four years and it's only two years in. So I don't feel like the the, the claims that he didn't feel values were of any substance whatsoever, to be honest, because it's hard to see when he he hasn't had the best of seasons in recent years, and it's, I don't think anyone can sort of deny that, especially when you go into a summer where very much so a rebuild was on the cards, and I think it'd be difficult to see what where that would happen but i think with henderson he obviously came back with a lot of um with a lot of seemed like he had a bit of, bit of vigor about him just to sort of i know what i've got to come up against i'm the captain of this club and it just doesn't feel like he jumped ship so to speak but i just don't feel like i'm not gonna make any implications or suggestions but i just don't feel like he felt like the time was right to go and he probably still had a lot a lot to play in the liverpool dressing room with milner going because they're still obviously he had that leadership group, and I think him and Milner were very much the catalyst for that, and they were very were the, the driving force, especially when you watched the uh, the preseason videos. They were the front of the line, and then you got Sobislai coming in, and he was making an immediate impact himself. And I just, I don't know, the, the interview didn't sit right with me. I don't know. It's just, it's hard to really put any sort of things together with that. I just don't think, I think it's a difficult thing to come out of, and I don't think, I think the part and shot with Klopp are not going to sit well, especially with someone who is high-respected as Klopp, 
it just felt for me re reading the interview um, when I came out that every answer kind of dug the hole further further down deeper. It's just it was remarkable, really. This idea that money wasn't discussed is just a slap in the face for everyone. Because let's be honest, if someone says says to Jordan Henderson, the Liverpool captain, do you want to go and play for the team who finished seventh last season in the Saudi Pro League, and you're not talking about money, you either think people reading it are idiots, or you're an even bigger idiot for for not talking about money before you go off to Saudi Arabia. Uh, and then the, the whole LGBTQ issue, I think, is massively disappointing for someone who's made himself a, a really strong ally, put himself, you know, went over the parapet for that years ago and was the driving force for Premier League footballers and was such a kind of beacon and an emblem of inclusion. And then he just stuck his fingers up to, to that community and rode off into the sunset where it's illegal to be in the same sex relationship and... Um, you know, punishable by death and whatever else. So it's it was just a a, a remarkable decision to begin with, um, and then the uh, the interview just wasn't um, wasn't helpful to to his reputation at all. So it was really disappointing, to be honest. Yeah, it was a bit like you're watching the Prince Andrew interview Mo on it and going, "Oh, you said what? Oh, it just seemed it's just like uh, such a badly managed thing to do and." Whether he was shooting from the hip and and, and 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 just didn't think straight on it, but I mean, you know, his priority there surely, surely, the big issue was the LGBTQ plus community, mm -hmm. and 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 there doesn't seem to have been any kind of explanation or apology or any kind of thing from that. It just seemed to be one of you know, poor me, poor me. There's a quote that's often attributed to Abraham Lincoln, but it was actually said by another lad called Morris Morris Switzer. It's better to stay silent and be thought a fool than to open your mouth and remove all doubt. And that is exactly what he did because he couldn't resist. And it's strange. We've all had this very strong image of Jordan Henderson, who, let's face it, he's never been the best footballer in the team. He's been underrated as a footballer at times, but he's never been the best in the team. He's probably never been in the top three best players in the team. But his niche was being the leader, being the best man, being the captain. And whether he acknowledged it or not, or whether we even realised it or not, he liked that. There was some ego attached to that being his thing, his niche. And Gorsty said it exactly right. He made himself an advocate for those things. He stuck himself in there and said, I'm going to get involved because I believe in this. And so to then think that those words don't matter and to think that people won't question everything he said based on this one action, because actions do speak louder than words, Jordan, it's just mind-numbing. I just don't understand where it's come from. I... I I think about him now, literally right now, in the England squad, kind of within the, in the in the dressing room or in the change rooms with everyone else. And like, obviously, some of them will have known him before. Some of them would have known. Some of them maybe even had similar offers themselves. But I would love to know how they all react to him and how he's reacting. Because did he really think it was going to go well? I mean, he obviously did. That's, that's the scary thing about it, isn't it? And it, you know. It does sometimes, Mo. I think it it sometimes clarifies that the different universe sometimes that we yes. we live in from these players and 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 um, and it's easy to, to it's easy to forget that they, they live in a completely different world. They are they are uh, they are a population of one normally. Do you know what I mean? And, and and it just seemed a shame because we that wasn't the kind of picture you get from that lad. And and um, and I think it's not so much the actions of a human being. It's it's how they react to their actions. It's how they. 
it's how they it's how they correct them. That's the point, isn't it? And I think I think my frustration with Jordan Henson is not that what he's done necessarily. It's the way he's acted to what he's done. It's the way he's he's sort of gone. Yeah, well, you know, uh, I wasn't looking very good there. And this, you know, there are issues there that you you should have dealt with and you should have spoken about, and people would have a, a lot more respect for you. And then the fact that he's sort of breezed over that doesn't help at all, does it? Yeah, he's done done that classic thing, hasn't he? Of I'm sorry you feel that way rather than I'm sorry for, for doing it. And, um, you know, obviously the, the interview was done by The Athletic, David Ornstein and, and Adam Crafton in particular. And um, I've just got to say, fair play to Adam Crafton. Uh, you know, it's no secret that he is a gay man and, and he has been very kind of vociferous in his views um, of how much he disagrees with Henderson initially going over there. And uh, he really got the bit between his teeth. If you read the interview, it's kind of a, a, um, a Q&A session, isn't it, rather than a, a written one. And, um He's very tenacious in his line of question and it doesn't really let Henderson off the hook, which, um, you know, he, he went up in my estimation with that one. You know, already hold him in high esteem. He's, he's a fantastic journalist. So, you know, fair play to uh, to Adam Crafton for that because it would have been very easy for, for some journalists to go over there and kind of bowl Henderson the, the soft soft underarm and, you know, we could have played it quite simple, but uh, that wasn't the case. And, Henderson did front up to the questions and did answer them, but um, I think a lot of the answers he was uh, found wanting. Yeah, absolutely. I think it'll be a, it'll be a long time before he does anything like that. He was caught out, wasn't he? And I think I think that's why he's responded in the way he has because he's he's come out with his truth and his truth stinks. Um, all right, let's talk about Liverpool again. Forget that for the time being. Um, we've got uh, Wolves away. We are third in the league currently, and you know you'd have took that wouldn't you? These amount of games, the way we were, the way we were last season. Um, we feel like we're building on a consistency. We've got Lask in the Europa League. You fancy a, a, a decent little Europa League run, Stephen? I think it, it's got to happen, really, hasn't it? I think with the players that Liverpool have got at their disposal, they've got to sort of go for it. And then I think with the Europa League, obviously it's been a good start to the season, but if you go far in that competition and win the final, it offers a bit of a safety net if you do sort of have that mid-season tip and fall away from the, um, the chase and park. And I think... It's, it's Liverpool's competition to win. They're the, um, the favourites amongst every bookmakers, I think, out there. And I think it's, it's one that Klopp hasn't won, I think, for the sentimental thing and for the players who are still there. You've still got one more trophy to win. It is the Europa League. And I think there may be some bruises for Klopp because, obviously, in his first season, I think it was, he obviously suffered that pretty demoralising defeat in um, in Baal against Sevilla. But I think that was sort of the turning point, that game for Liverpool, wasn't it, where Klopp sort of round them up and saying, you're not sitting there glum get a being around the next celebrate because of this achievement and it was sort of the catalyst for um for what's what's come after and I think it could be the sort of the catalyst and the starting block for this new Liverpool 2.0 and I think with the players at Liverpool's disposal now and I think there's, there's there's too many to even mention I think just touching upon the, the point about Endo and Gravenberg like you said I think it's probably the right time to sort of bring in that 21 year old I and mean, he's not exactly at the end of his tether he's very much at the beginning of his career, whether he's played 100 or, or no no games in his professional career. But when you're getting a play for £35 million, the same age as Casado, who a few weeks ago Liverpool were going to pay hundreds of millions for. And I think it's it's probably the perfect ch- chance to get him. And he's clocked that manager who can turn his players around. And he's probably the player that we, with Liverpool's sort of track record that can sort of turn back around. But I think with that Europa League run, it's something Liverpool shouldn't fit in. It should be a good chance for the youngsters as well to get their Mates and the legs and some experiences for them for when they do get called upon. I think the likes of Kwanzaa and Bobby Clark to maybe not get them chances in the, the hustle and bustle games against Chelsea, Man United and whoever else is a good chance to sort of 
played at lower depths of teams, but they, they get they did learn different lessons each to their own there, don't they? Absolutely, mate. Yep, Mo, listen, it was all just an elaborate plan. <laughs> get out the Champions League just so we could win the one thing he hasn't won with us. We all know that. It's just, you know, it's a, it's the, it's just, he's got to have the full set anymore. I mean, I wish someone had told me this last season. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> I, I probably would have been quite a bit more calm. But yeah, it does feel like a nice full circle moment for him to go and reclaim that trophy. And he wouldn't say outwardly, but he'd have been very pleased with that draw. I think some of the away fans might prefer the trip to Prague or Cyprus, but Austria, Belgium and France, very nice for Jürgen. You're not able to go too far away. Um, the way the fixtures fall as well, like in theory, the hardest game away at Lask is the first one. So you get a good win there. You can really start to think about plotting your route to the top of the group. I mean, when the second best team in the group are absolutely made up to draw you as they were when they pulled Liverpool out. I think that kind of tells you something about how Liverpool should approach this group. Um, so, yeah, it's really exciting to be able to think about how this team develops. Also, when we are still going through, there's going to be teething problems. At the moment, everything looks great. Everyone's winning games. Uh, but there's going to be times when maybe it doesn't look great or maybe some of the players are still struggling to get to grips with things. Being in that competition, being able to maybe have a poor performance and still get a good result a couple of times, I do think will help us again in this development because that's how these things are all built. Like Steve mentioned earlier on, the, the leadership group is gone. This is a new group. They have Those relationships have to be kind of forged by fire. Like I think back to uh, Brendan Rodgers' uh, group that were in the Europa League. Loads of those players really went up a level from that competition. And I'm hoping that we'll see the same with our lads this year. Yeah, absolutely, mate. Absolutely. Uh, and he learned a lot, didn't he, from that? You, you could see I was at that game in Basel and, 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 and you know, the Sturridge won the goal, but there was never, it was never a commanding performance for Liverpool, was it? And then you had those, you know, the Mignolets and the, and the Morenos of the world where you just kind of walked out of that ground going, they've got to go. They've simply got to go. Klopp started his rebuild then, didn't he? Um, what I want us to be, Mo, is the kind of team that, it was lovely to see them all cheering them when they got, when they got Liverpool, but it wasn't so long ago that every club in Europe was terrified terrified of getting Liverpool and hopefully we'll get back there soon. We've got Wolves away Saturday, 16th September, half 12 kickoff and then the European uh, Cup starts for us, the Europa League Cup, of course, uh, LASK and that is Thursday, the 25th of September. Then we've got a home game against West Ham and Liverpool against Leicester City in the EFL. That is just about it. Thank you very, very much. Mo, what a, what a performance. Well, thank you very much. I, I feel like I've sitted in just as well as Sobber's line and so hopefully that will so we. You absolutely have, my friend. Ghosty, you've either got a really tall dog with long legs and you're sitting at the table, or a small dog and you're sitting at the table and that's just on the table. What is yeah. it? Uh, option B there, small dog and I'm at the table. Is it a Great Dane Schmauzer mix, is it? Well, no, like, <laughs> legs and a tiny body. Well, what's his name? Frankie. Frankie, good. Yeah. Frankie. Frankie can come back. Not if he keeps showing me that end now. Um, <laughs> Stephen Killen, thank you very much, mate. Uh, always a pleasure to see you. Get them blinds shut, mate. It's getting on there. And uh, we shall all see you. See you again soon. The Mighty Mojo at the Mighty Mojo, Stephen Killen, and at PT Ghost. If you want to get in touch with the lads, only nice comments, please. Uh, this has been another poetry emotion. Uh, be patient because the uh, Liverpool 2.0 is way, no doubt. Uh, this is a uh, this is it for me, Neil Fitz. Poetry emotion. See you all again soon. Bye bye. You've been listening to the Poetry Emotion podcast on the Blood Red Channel.